0: here with Autumn Privet, and this is Reading Women, a podcast where we're reclaiming half the bookshelf by discussing books written by or about women. And today we have an interview for you with Alice Bolin, the author of Dead Girls, Essays on Surviving an American Obsession.
1: Well, I'm obsessed. Was that too cheesy? <laughs> <laughs> Seriously though, like I really enjoyed this essay collection. I'm an essay junkie anyway, and this one just checked all the
0: boxes for me. It's true. I saw it and I was like, oh, that's an autumn book right there. Just yep. go forth and read autumn. <laughs> so we say this is an autumn book, but it's it's primarily because it's about a dead girls. Yes,
1: which totally fits into my perennial obsession with murder mysteries and the like. So it was really cool to read her take on it.
0: Yeah, and she also has uh, some essays on L.A. and about her dabbling in witchcraft as a girl and how that interacts with uh, being a woman. And then she has this really lovely essay in the back. It's a long-form essay, which I found really interesting. So she has a wide variety of shorter essays and longer essays as well.
1: And all really great.
0: Yes, and I will admit, um, I was sitting at the mall um, and uh, waiting around for someone, and there was this this guy sitting next to me and, like, you know where you're sitting there as a woman and you're just like oh okay this is how it's gonna be right yeah so i hold up this book it <laughs> dead girls and i'm just like holding it obnoxiously high and just slipping and i you know intentionally ignoring this dude and i just they have to, yes so i have to thank alice <laughs> for writing this book so i could use it for that purpose
1: well with that said let's hear our conversation with alice
2: about her essays
0: Uh, So today we have with us Alice Bolin, the author of Dead Girls, Essays on Surviving an American Obsession. Welcome to the podcast, Alice. Thank you so much for having me. Kendra
1: actually introduced this book to me and she was like, this sounds like an autumn book. And I was like, yes, it sounds like an autumn book. (laughs) Um, So we both really enjoyed reading it, though. It's it's a fascinating, fascinating topic. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much.
2: What makes it an autumn book?
1: Well, I think because I grew up reading murder mysteries. Right. And as I got older, that morphed over to true crime. And then after that, like, my spouse got me into Twin Peaks. And then once that happened, we started I started asking a lot of questions about like, hmm, why do we why are we so glad that Laura Palmer died? So, yeah. So that's kind of why it's an auto book in a nutshell (laughs) (laughs) so before I guess before we get too far ahead of ourselves then could you just describe this essay
2: collection for our listeners who haven't read it yet I would say that it's sort of a collection of essays that's about a lot of different things when it comes to literature and pop culture all kind of surrounding sort of a theme about feminism and coming of age as a woman in the US, um, and kind of all of the sort of dangers and, I don't know, things that are disturbing, <laughs> disturbing and messed up about being a girl in the US. But it kind of begins by thinking about that dead girl trope that you kind of mention, like in True Crime or in Twin Peaks, you know, these dead girl shows or in the noir mystery stories. And all of the violence against women that's so prevalent in popular culture. But I also talk a lot about um, moving to Los Angeles was I, when I was in my mid-20s and kind of the noir stories uh, in L.A. And then also thinking a little bit about things like witches and werewolves and these other kinds of like fairy tale stories that sort of have their own kind of metaphorical relationship to... I don't know, girlhood and adolescence. Maybe none of that made sense, but I don't know. It's it's about a lot of different things. It's not only about dead girls.
0: <laughs> so you talked a little bit about the different parts that are in the book. You moved to you know you moved to LA, and so you wrote about that, and a lot of Joan Didion, and um, and then a lot about witches and like your own little exploration to witchcraft and different things. So what inspired you to pull all these things together and write this essay collection?
2: Well, I feel like. I always appreciate essays that are, well, when I talk to my students, I tell them that an essay should be about more than one thing. And often if you haven't found, if you feel like you haven't found your topic, it's because you're, you need to find two topics basically. Mm -hmm. Like this is going to be about my mom and also about Uh, the movie Steel Magnolias or, you know, something like that. (laughs) But it kind of has two threads that you can weave together and that makes something that's rich and interesting. And so I feel like the essays in this collection almost always, and maybe to a fault, are really about, you know, a lot of different things at once. And so it never occurred to me to write a book that was all kind of all one thing or to sort of rein it in or just really focus on, you know, only write about the noir and dead girls. I like to see the ways that things can exist together and the things that can come from juxtaposition. Britney Spears is sort of, uh, you know, somebody who comes back again and again in the essays. And she's, to me... It's interesting to put her in all of these different situations, like thinking about what her music was meant to me when I was a kid, thinking about, you know, what her breakdown means when you compare her to Mariah from Joan Didion's Play It As It Lays. Having these kind of threads that weave through the essay collection, I don't know, to me helps make it feel cohesive, but at the same time eclectic and helps a lot of different things to exist, you know, at once.
1: And that's one thing that I really liked about the stories so was kind of how they weren't all like, I guess, the same topic sentence. But it was more like, like you said, like woven together in related kind of topics.
2: I also like to play with coming at things from more than one angle, like thinking about, OK, well, there's dead girls in literature. There's dead girls in pop culture. There's dead girls on TV. Um can Britney Spears be a dead girl you know is beloved from beloved by Toni Morrison a dead girl kind of thinking about things trying to see if we can play these kind of like mind games of you know whether all of that can fit together whether I can find a way to bring it all together a lot of people are definitely going to think that I didn't but (laughs) (laughs) it's the risk I run you know
1: (laughs) I guess it's better than the opposite, right? Being too well, simple. I mean, that's
2: where I feel like, you know, in your first book, why not just be ambitious? That's what, there you go. Kind of what well, I thought I needed. So
1: we've actually reviewed a lot of true crime on this podcast in the last year. And it seems like as a culture, like we're really into dead girls right now. And I was thinking about all of the podcasts and TV shows. And I read some of your articles about Netflix shows and stuff about dead girls. What like what are your thoughts on why people are so obsessed with dead girls and why it's such a big thing in culture right now in particular because I don't feel like it was this way or to the same level a couple years ago.
2: Yeah, I think that there's a lot of a sense that like true crime fans are kind of like, you know, coming out of the closet so to speak or like, you know, re- that it used to be sort of this even though was, I think that true crime has been popular since the advent of journalism, but Mm -hmm. it used to be a little bit more of a shameful or trashy thing to be into. But I think that once, I think especially once serial kind of had its breakout moment, a lot of people started to just be like, well, yeah. And I also watched Dateline, you know, I mean, I think that it kind of made things feel a little bit more um, highbrow and then the lowbrow stuff kind of also became a little bit more accepted and you have these things like the you know the like the people versus oj simpson or where you're definitely straddling a line between something really campy and something more respectable and you know with these great actors but it is still like they're wearing like silly wigs and costumes and Mm -hmm. That's always part of what makes true crime enjoyable or crime stories in general is that they kind of can both be sort of smart and serious and kind of salacious and that guilty pleasure. So I feel like maybe at this point, people are just of sort of admitting that, you know, they're interested in murder <laughs> when they kind of always have been. But I also think it's like, things do feel very dark and bleak in current events you know it it feels like there's all this corruption in government there's environmental degradation and I think murder stories help us to feel a little bit more they kind of enforce this idea that like yeah the world is terrible and look Mm. at how Bad. Like, look how bad a person can be. And they also make us feel a little bit more in control because it's like, well, this is something that we can solve and we figured it out and now it's done and we can move on. Where these bigger problems and bigger crimes of corruption and, you know, destruction, those really can't be solved in the same way. What you
0: said about us coming like out of the woodwork and kind of admitting that we enjoy this reminds me of um, when I was in high school and Criminal Minds first came on uh-huh. TV. <laughs> and it was like my favorite show at the time. And my parents are like, why do you like this? And I got like the DVDs because that's what you did at the time. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> you, you got this. So you mentioned a little bit about how we've always kind of been obsessed with this we just didn't want to admit it so why do you think we are obsessed with dead girl girl culture and what do you think that says about us as a culture and kind of like how did that kind of follow following that path how did you become obsessed with dead girls in your own pulp culture experience
2: i think there's so much (laughs) to that question i mean because that's (laughs) it i've been doing just a few early interviews for the book and everybody asks me like, why, why do you think we're obsessed with dead girls? And I'm like, I don't know. Uh, (laughs) It's kind of such a complex question that does, I think have to do with misogyny, but, and, you know, this, having this violent culture and being sort of being very, I think that Americans are very comfortable with violence and with death it, even to where, you know like i i wrote a little in the book a little bit about how the writer Evelyn Waugh thought that um, like that Americans and their like were very strangely comfortable with death that there's no you know no need for like a memento mori but it's mm-hmm. everywhere in america people are comfortable with images of violence you know we have these giant graveyards that are everywhere and i think it's because of you know the violence that has been a part of our culture especially because of racism since the beginning of, you know, the U S part. I think that's part to do with it, but I also think that it's something I've been thinking about a lot recently about the nature of mystery stories and essentially our addiction to narrative and to stories that has only grown (laughs) as they've become more available in different media. And the mystery is a really interesting kind of story because it interrogates the expectations that we all have, that that is the way that we interact with narratives. We say, okay, I know what's going to happen next. This is going to happen. Or, you know, she's going to do this now. Or, oh, this is one of those stories where this happens. And the mystery kind of self-consciously thinks about what's gonna happen next and plays with the reader's expectations and even even will say, you know, a character will be like, oh, that's what happens. this is what always happens. You know, it can't that can't be that easy. I think that one reason we're so addicted to mysteries is because of this kind of mainlining of narrative that is a fact of our culture. And we kind of are like addicts who've gotten so used to every possible permutation of every genre of narrative. And the mystery is the only thing that really challenges us in the way that we kind of long to be challenged. So I don't know. I think that it is, there is something to this, just this kind of being junkies for stories and the mystery being, you know, the kind of ultimate in those satisfying story.
1: I think that's so true because as you were talking, I was thinking of, so the first book I bought online was the complete Sherlock Holmes. Uh Uh-huh. And, I was reading it and I remember that m- my dad said to me like are you sure that's something that's good for a, a young girl your age to be reading kind of thing <laughs> and I remember thinking as a kid like and explaining it then is like no I like the process like I like the process of what he's doing like I don't really care about <laughs> like, right. the murders are ancillary to me and I've revisited that question a lot as an adult and I think there is something to what you're saying about the plot and how it challenges us that's just really attractive.
2: That's what I mean I've been rereading Agatha Christie who I I mean I first read when I was in 7th grade and I'm reading some of these books that I haven't read since since then which is kind of a trip but the ways that she plays with narrative expectations is what makes her, you know, the best and what makes her the most I don't know that's why she's the best selling author of all time, you know, like right. That she so expertly plays on what the reader thinks is going to happen and what the reader expects from a certain kind of story or a certain um, setting, you know, a village setting or or there's a, or there's we're in a boarding house or we're in, you know, with the movie stars or something. What you expect from different characters. I think that is, it is very much like a distilled kind of example of, <laughs> of the ways that we interact with and consume, especially popular novels. I think that's
1: true. And one of the things, too, that I thought of when I was reading your book is I had recently read Her Body and Other Parties. And have you read it? Are you familiar yeah, with I love it. Okay, yeah. So that story, especially heinous about the Law and Order SVU episodes, I remember like slogging through that thing because it's like 50 pages or something.
2: It was published as a a novella, I think, too. Yeah, it was.
1: And at the time, like as I was reading, I didn't really understand what was going on. And then after I finished it, I was like... Oh my gosh, like that's what she's doing. Like she's talking about like what happens when you strip away like all of the fancy TV ness of shows like this and what they get to. And I couldn't help but think of that story as I was reading because you know, you kind of pull back the curtain as well about like, okay, well, what's actually going on behind these narratives? Do you think that the fact that like crime on TV and on even on podcasts, you mentioned serial is so sanitized, like do you think that's part of why people kind of forget what they're watching
2: it's an interesting question because i think well i think that in that story which is you know it's told as law and order svu plot synopses and it's like you're reading tv guide or you know something you know as that's a throwback but like you're reading you know tv listings but it's just right. it's and it does weave a narrative through it but i think there is kind of an implicit point about if once you see it all together and there isn't all the trappings of, you know, a 43 minute long episode and you see in plain terms, what these shows are really about the kind of serial nature of crime against women that is depicted in this extremely popular show um, is more disturbing and kind of strange (laughs) too. But I also think that in a lot of ways, the, crime like the violence that's shown on let's say law and order svu is not sanitized it's very explicit you mm-hmm. know i mean there's very like you there we see corpses you know just like all the time and and even describing what you know describing acts of rape or sexual assault is you know it's not watered down and actually I think that's part of why people enjoy it because it's you know there's an element where it's titillating but also it's it's kind of honest I guess I do think that we are desensitized to violence and I think that our exposure to it has a lot to do with that (laughs) I guess yeah I mean I guess so my answer is yes but I think that maybe I just go back to that I think that it has to do with the trappings of narrative and, and that mystery is what helps us to forget the violence, is what helps us to be hardened to it. Because you're not preoccupied by the victim. You're preoccupied by the perpetrator and by the people who are trying to figure out who did it. Maybe ultimately the narrative, you know, that a compelling narrative is kind of glossy and glamorous for us, no matter how much kind of guts and grime is in it. That's an interesting question. I mean, the story is fantastic, uh, especially heinous. I love that book. Um, I really, I see a lot of connections between that book and dead girls.
0: Definitely. You know, you mentioned that TV gives it this glossy exterior. And when I was reading your book, you mentioned that, you know, dead girls aren't about the dead girls. They're about usually the dude who's in, in you know, inspecting this. And I am, um, is it True De- True Detectives, the one with Matthew McConaughey, right? right? The, all right, so because so I was watching that, and uh, when you said that and you started uh, critiquing and, like, analyzing that show, I was like, yes, <laughs> yes, I'm in the gym, like, reading the book going, yes, out loud, <laughs> like, random people are just staring at me. But, uh, yes, and I realized that it's just another way that a girl has to die so that we can understand how, quote-unquote, awesome these men right. are who are investigating the crime, and it just never had occurred to me that what was going on with that and how— it was like these girls were portrayed as innocents that had to be sacrificed in order to create a better man, so to speak.
2: I mean, I think that is ultimately the problem. I do think that these shows are evidence of a kind of misogyny or anger, but, you know, towards women. But I also think that in the end, really, they're evidence of just the ways that male supremacy in our culture bulldozes everyone else's desires needs Mm -hmm. you know freedom uh that those you know that both the murderer and the detective suck up all the air in the room so that this story that's supposedly about you know something horrible that happened to a woman really has very little to do with the woman you know in question that she becomes basically this cypher, you know, she's very one dimensional. She's just this kind of, you know, beautiful glittering corpse who we see at the beginning. Um, and some, I think some kind of dead girl shows try to push against that. I would say true detective is a very good example of one that does not (laughs) at all. (laughs) Yeah. I think that is the problem in the end is that men's stories are placed so far above everyone else's to these, you know, really horrific ends.
1: My brain is going so many places. I don't know where to start yet, but, um, I'm, so one thing that I've been thinking about since watching the return of Twin Peaks is, is that I feel, have you seen it yet? I haven't
2: seen it. I know I have to see it because everyone okay. is talking about it, but yeah, I've heard that maybe there's <laughs> some redemption for Laura Palmer. I don't know.
1: Yeah, I mean, the, the conversations that I've been having with people who've seen it, the general impression, at least with the people I've talked to, has been that David Lynch in The Return is trying to say kind of like, oh, you, you really wanted the old Twin Peaks or like Laura Palmer was dead and kind of like hints that maybe the audience is complicit in her death right because of all the things that happened to her which was actually like really disorienting at first cuz like you're expecting the regular twin peaks but then at the same time it's like it's really kind of amazing what he's doing where you feel kind of weird watching it cuz you're like wait like am i like am i part of this like because i want more of twin peaks do i want laura palmer to die again or you know those kinds of things right. it's it's really fascinating
2: yeah well, i've got to watch it <laughs> <laughs> I like don't want to, I'm like the person who's always like, well, I have something to say about that, even though it's like, no, you don't know anything about it. So <laughs> I have to watch it. But yeah, from what I've been hearing, it feels like maybe there is some. <laughs> so yeah, maybe he is trying to kind of mess with the audience's assumptions or with that fandom a little bit.
1: Yeah, it's it's pretty interesting. And I was thinking, too, like since reading your book, I've actually actually on accident like watched a lot of noir films and recently watched Chinatown and I couldn't help but think like in that book, there's like the crusty old detective, you know, whatever. And I was like, Oh, this is it. This is the patriarchy. Like this is not about these girls and what happens to them. And the girl at the end like dies like a really violent death. And I was so mad. Yes. Was, like,
2: so <laughs> mad bad. Uh, in Chinatown. Maybe? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is the patriarchy, but I think that book, that movie, I mean, whatever, Roman Polanski, notwithstanding, I guess, is about the patriarchy in a kind of conscious way and, and in kind of an interesting way, because it sort of is like these bad dads who are just bad beyond, you know, conceiving. Um, right. And that in the end, there's no way to escape them. It does have this kind of Gothic structure to it where you think that, you know, you think you're in this mystery story, but once the mystery is solved, you're in an even worse place than you were at the beginning because you see kind of how intractable corruption is, which is the interesting thing about you know a noir,
1: yeah,
2: a noir story, and I think the subversive thing about noirs, but that's still a story about men,
0: right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, aren't they all right? Aren't they? All? <laughs> uh, you said in the beginning of our conversation that. You know, the essay collection isn't just about dead girls. It's also about how when you move to L.A. and your experiences there. It's trying to just make your way in the world um, as a struggling writer. And you took a lot of different odd jobs. But then you connect that back to the TV shows you're watching. And then like the noir movies that we've just been talking about. When you're writing this essay collection... I was wondering how you connected your study, I guess almost like a study of noir film and TV shows, to Dead Girls, and how did you make that connection that, oh, these things that I'm looking at, both LA and Dead Girls, are connected, um, and how are they connected?
2: I was really interested in this book in kind of writing a memoir and criticism, in sort of trying to show i mean i think that we think about okay this is my real life that's when i go to my job and i talk to my friends or i talk to my partner but my real life has as much to do with what i'm watching on tv or what i'm reading as those other experiences um and especially when i was living in la i was really lonely i mean most of who i was interacting with were you know dead writers and characters on scandal or whatever so I wanted to that to be a part of the story, a part of the narrative. Is kind of how I discovered things about the world around me in this really indirect and kind of inefficient way through uh, the media, and especially living in Los Angeles, there were so there was so much, you know, to kind of misinform me, essentially, like from reality TV to Joan Didion to Raymond Chandler, so. I feel like the connection was very natural and it had, it really was just about waking up in LA and living my life and also being really interested in dead girls and noir stories. But I do think that Los Angeles and the West have a lot to do with kind of that, the history of the noir in America. I love LA noirs like, you know, James Elroy or Raymond Chandler, or Walter Mosley, and I think there's just this kind of, Los Angeles is such an interesting, you know, crazy, bizarre, sprawling, um, messed up place. <laughs> the crime stories in Los Angeles often are really also, you know, kind of convoluted and strange um, because there are so many competing interests and, you know, ideas like the entertainment industry um, or real estate, you know, it's these industries that run on essentially kind of a gambler's mentality you know it's all about investment and who whose money can you get and why so I guess I just I sort of started out reading these mystery books because they're the most famous books about Los Angeles like Raymond Chandler that's who everyone talks about when they talk about LA writers and that's kind of what what led me here I think you really
1: feel that in your essays too. Like it does seem, I I will admit, like at first I was expecting it to be a very topical kind of essay collection. But then once I got into it, it really seemed like it did flow naturally from what you were talking about anyway. And I've never been to LA. So it was, and I've only ever read like Gideon and like all the pop culture about it. So it it was cool to see your take on it as well.
2: But I think that I did want to write this story that I hadn't encountered before, which isn't to say that it doesn't exist in other forms, but about kind of an artist going to Los Angeles to kind of find herself rather than going to New York and thinking about how those would be different. Actually, I had the idea to write that essay like five years ago or something like that. And I wrote it um, last spring, this long essay that ends the book.
0: So we could probably talk about this forever. And we we know Autumn could. So... (laughs) (laughs) But we wanted to ask you some fun questions before we wrapped up. So we know from reading your essay collection that you love Didion and there's a bunch of different references that you make. Um, But who are some of your favorite female authors? And as a bonus, I'm going to add, what are some of your favorite uh, TV shows? Because you reference a lot of those in the essay collection as well.
2: It's so funny because like, Like, I'm doing this, you know, TV uh, film festival that's happening in in New York in in, um, next month. And other, like, TV people have have asked me, like, you know, to do events or whatever. And and it's funny because to me it's like I watch, like, exclusively, like, makeup videos on YouTube. I find it so (laughs) exhausting. And part of it is this kind of, like, critic's... Critics' orientation towards the world. I just am very skeptical. So, the TV thing is so funny because it's like this is something I I was driven to write about really honestly years ago. But, um, and so it still is kind of my like my calling card. But I would say my favorite TV shows. My favorite Dead Girl show is definitely Veronica Mars, and I think that's one of the best shows ever. I love Killing Eve that just came out, and anything by Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Fleabag, and Crashing. I think she's such a genius. Um, Enlightened. I love Laura Dern. But books by women— I have so many, you guys. My favorite, one of my favorite writers in the world is Muriel Spark. She's one of my, truly one of my literary heroes. I definitely would say, yeah, The Prime of Miss Jean Brody and Girls of Slender Means, Loitering with Intent are some of my favorite books by her. I love Joy Williams, uh, the short story writer Mm -hmm. and novelist. um, Taking Care is one of my favorite collections of short stories. I have so many favorite essay writers who are women- Terry Castles, The Professor by Terry Castles one of my favorite books uh, in the world. Very her that book and The Possessed by Elif Batuman were big inspirations for me for Dead Girls Beyond um, the White Album by Joan Didion, kind of trying to trying to sort of m- marry criticism and memoir and write something that was strange and use whatever kind of references I wanted and the things that meant a lot to me, even if my reader, you know, kind of would have to have to go on a journey uh, to get there. Um, Rachel Kushner is one of my favorite writers ever. I just finished Telex from Cuba. The Flamethrowers is one of my favorite books. My boyfriend is reading my copy of The Mars Room right now, so I'm going to read it when he is finished. (laughs) I'm sure there are a million others who I'm forgetting. Jack Malcolm is one of my favorite writers of all time I've, I've read almost all of her books
1: that's an amazing list I'm over here like frantically like <laughs> texting names to myself so that way I don't
2: forget yeah <laughs> I mean Toni Morrison is so such an obvious one but yes I think she's definitely the best yeah writer American writer of the 20th century I remember when I read Beloved I just went back to the first page and just read it again oh yeah I it's was like so no, good I don't need to not be reading this book ever <laughs> <laughs> Shirley Jackson, too. Shirley Jackson's one of my favorite writers. I love her novels, especially, which is weird. Zadie Smith. That's so obvious. Yeah. But she's still good. She still deserves a mention. I know. I I I love Zadie (laughs) Smith. I should say this one. Alyssa Washuda, she is my friend, but she's one of my favorite nonfiction writers currently. Her memoir, My Body is a Book of Rules, I think is such a brave Mm. and kind of intense and upsetting, but... Totally original book. Okay, so that's my that's my long list.
0: <laughs> it's an amazing list. And we are all here for books about by or about women. So
2: yes, me too. Yes. I know. Books. I mean, that's what when I teach, you know, when I make my syllabi, I'm like, we could read a book by a man if the man is James Baldwin. <laughs> right. <laughs> Next semester I'm teaching like like a few more books by men. I'm like, what's happening? What am I doing? Oh no. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, we always like to ask people we have on the podcast if there's anything they're working on that we that they would like to talk about, if you
2: have any, like, articles coming out or that just came out or anything. I just published a piece about Alanis Morissette in the outline about how she's underrated, and I'm, I'm looking forward toward a couple book projects. One of them may be either a novel or a memoir about working at an ice cream store in Nebraska in the year 2007, Um, and the other, a collection of essays sort of about um, the early Internet and girl culture and heartthrobs and crushes and the ways that, like, women's work and social media, all of these things are not really sounding like they go together, but that's kind of my thing, I guess. So as we've discussed, it's like my (laughs) trick. Sign me up I'm already there Just a bunch of random topics And I'll figure it out How they go together
1: (laughs) Well thank you so much Alice For coming to talk to us About your book We really enjoyed it And best of luck As you promote it
2: Thank you so much For having me This was a great conversation
0: So we really enjoyed talking with Alice about her book, Dead Girls, Essays on Surviving an American Obsession. And that is out now from William Morrow. And you definitely want to go check that out. Alice is actually going on tour. So we're going to be including her uh, tour dates in the show notes. So you will to check that out. There's also links so you can see if she is coming to a bookstore or a festival near you. And
1: then you can find out more about Alice by following her on Twitter at Alice Bolin and at her website, alicebolin.com. And of course, we'll have links to those in our show notes as well. And as for us, you can find Reading Women on social media at The Reading Women, and you can find Kendra at Katie Winchester and me at Autumn Privet. So thank you all so much for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye, guys. <laughs>